Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Race, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore some creepy tales of restless spirits who seemingly can't rest in peace until their hidden treasure has been discovered. And this has been a popular motive for ghosts to haunt people for centuries. There are countless tales from all over the world of people being asked, or scared rather, ghosts don't ask politely, they scare you into helping them find their treasure, so in return they will leave you in peace. If you help them, they can rest in peace, and in return you will be left in peace, because ghosts are nothing if not persistent. If they ask you for help, if they ask you to help find their hidden treasure, the best thing you can do is to help them as quickly as possible, or they'll just keep coming back and back, and the activity will escalate a bit like a nagging child. Now, on this episode, we are going to look at three examples which were recorded by the Welsh writer Jonathan Caredig Davis in the early 1900s. And what I particularly like about many of Davis's tales is that he collected these from the people themselves, the people of West Wales mainly, who told him in some cases their first-hand accounts, their real-life experiences of these strange paranormal encounters. But at the same time, he also recorded many tales which had been passed on to these people through the generations. Stories which might have been told to a young boy by their grandfather and were then recalled, and as such they have more of a feel of a folktale about them. And so there's this nice mix between real-life ghost stories, supposedly real-life stories, and more folktales. And which of them are real, which of them are not, Maybe the truth lies somewhere in between. I don't know. Maybe the best thing to do is if I tell you these three tales and then you can decide at the end if there's any truth in any of these terrifying tales. And so, to begin at the beginning, our first tale takes place somewhere in the south of Wales. A little bit vague, unfortunately, but the south of Wales, and it concerns a carpenter who was haunted by a good old white lady ghost. And haunted is the right word, because she gave him no peace at all. She appeared day and night with, to quote, an agonising expression of countenance at unexpected times and unexpected places. So this, for me, already elevates this haunting above many other such tales, because he's not just hearing footsteps or feeling a little bit chilly. This ghost is materialising before his very eyes, and it didn't seem to matter when and where. She would just pop up at unexpected times in unexpected places. And this all 
came to a head one day when, to quote from Davis, once in a field to which there were several entrances, she appeared and opposed his exit. She blocked him from escaping. Trembling, he sought another. But there, too, was she. So whatever exit he chose, she would materialise in front of him and block his way. As a result, he fainted and did not leave the field till he was found there by persons who happened to pass. Now, I mentioned the fact that it's quite nice this ghost is appearing before him. It's not just some little noises and things, but the downside is that because it makes no noise, he has no idea what this ghost wants. There is no communication, and so the hauntings just continue unexpectedly popping up now and then and scaring him, and as with that example, making him faint. And it was only by chance one day that he solved this in his role as a carpenter. And it was as he was fixing an old escritoire, which is a word I don't think I've used on this podcast before, and if you're wondering what that means, it's some kind of desk or a chest of drawers or similar piece of furniture which requires a carpenter. But he was fixing this for a family that lived nearby. And as he was repairing it, he found a considerable amount of jewels and other valuables in a secret drawer. Now, the valuables were immediately handed over to the owner of the escritoire, and the white lady did not appear afterwards. And so that was that. It was terrifying while it lasted, but it ended as quickly as it had started, and if only this white lady could have communicated, it would have been over even quicker still. And we can only imagine that she must have had some connection with this secret drawer full of valuables, and we can only guess as to their connection with the lucky person who inherited them. Were they a relation? Who knows? But let us now move on to our next remarkable story of this class, which takes place in the northern part of Cardiganshire, as it was, so somewhere in the north of modern-day Ceredigion, which, after a little bit of detective work, I am assuming is in the village of Penryn Koch, in the community of Trevirig, just a few miles from Aberystwyth, because this tale is called The White Lady of Broginin. And Broginin, as lovers of medieval Welsh poetry will know, is said to be the farmhouse where the famous Welsh bard David Ap Gwilym was born. And I won't go off on too much of a tangent about David Ap Gwilym here. I am sure we'll have an episode all about David Ap Gwilym at some point in the future. But if you're unfamiliar with the name, he is one of the most important poets of the period. And for the purposes of this podcast, he is credited with being the first person to use the term Taloith Teg in a poem back in the 1300s, which, 
As regular listeners will know, Tulloch Teg is the Welsh name for the fairy folk. So if you're wondering where that name comes from, we can certainly trace it back to David Ap Gwilym's poem in the 1300s. But our tale takes place many years, many centuries, I'm guessing, after David Ap Gwilym's time there. I would imagine this took place somewhere in the 19th century, when there was a respectable and industrious family living there who were often disturbed by some unearthly being who generally made his appearance in the depth of night, as is the case with spirits. Now, if you've been listening carefully, you might have noticed that I said his appearance. So this ghost is a masculine ghost, and yet it is called the White Lady of Broginning. And this ghost is referred to as he and him throughout the entire account. And the white lady part is always in inverted commas. So maybe there was some doubt as to its identity. Maybe it was potentially a white man. I don't know. But if I say he or him, it is simply a direct quote from Davis. And to continue the tale, he tells us that this unwelcome visitor aroused the whole family by walking up and down the stairs or from one room into another. Sometimes he closed the doors behind him, making such noise as to strike terror into the hearts of all in the house. At times, he lighted up the whole house at once with gleaming light, and the next moment vanished as suddenly as he came, leaving behind him utter darkness. All of which sounds quite scary, quite terrifying by all accounts. It was striking terror into the hearts of all in the house, with all kinds of phenomena stomping on the stairs and slamming doors and lighting up the house and then plunging it into darkness. And yet, how did they determine this was a white lady or white man, as the case may be? Well, occasionally, we are told, the same ghost was seen by the servant men who had been out courting. So when they arrived back from their dates, they would see this spirit walking across the farmyard in the form of what they described a white lady, which appeared as a tall, handsome lady attired in lustring white dress and her face covered by silken veil. Now, this is another popular motif in, certainly in Welsh ghost stories. It's surprising how many ghosts are seen by the servants of houses after spending some time with their lady friends, as is the case here. And whether or not it applies specifically to this case, I don't know. But more often than not, you would imagine these men would not want to make up tales like this. I mean, maybe they were sneaking out late at night when they shouldn't have been sneaking out late at night. Maybe they should have been saving their energy and getting their sleep ready for work the next day. Plus, 
there was usually some kind of macho image a pretense to uphold, and so claiming to being scared by ghosts wasn't really the done thing. But their description is quite interesting as well. Maybe it puts to doubt any ideas this was a white man, because to me, this ghost sounds a bit like Miss Havisham from Charles Dickens's Great Expectations, which is one of my favourite books by Dickens. Certainly my favourite ending, I think, to a Dickens book, which I won't spoil on this podcast. But this ghost is clothed in this white, what looks like a wedding dress, with a veil over her face. And when she sees these young men, she walks towards them and suddenly disappears into a tremendous ball of fire. So that bit isn't much like Miss Havisham, just the description. But she walks towards people before bursting into a tremendous ball of fire. And as such, people were so terrified by such sights that several families, one after another, moved away from the house. And this isn't something I've looked into personally, but when you do hear accounts which have been seen by multiple people over a period of time, it does add a bit of weight to it. It does make it more believable. If you can say, this family left this house because of the paranormal activity, and then the family after them left this house because of this paranormal activity, and then this family after them. Well, you, you get the idea. And like I said, it's not something I've personally looked into, but if that is indeed the case, it does make it a more convincing ghost story, which we are now nearing the end of, because this all came to a head one night when, one Sunday evening, however, about the beginning of winter, when all the family, as usual, had gone to chapel, except the servant maid who did not feel well and her lover came to keep her company. And now you might be thinking that's a likely story. I certainly was when I first read it. The entire house has gone to chapel, the servant maid is unwell and has to stay at home, with the entire house to herself, and her lover just happens to pop over to keep her company. But maybe, maybe it was totally innocent, I don't know. But back to the tale, and naturally, the young man and the young woman began to talk about the ghost. And Evan, for that was the young man's name, laughed and boasted what he was going to do should the disturber appear. But, you can probably see where this is going, but the next moment, without the least notice, a lady in her white dress stood right in the middle of the room with her face uncovered this time and her brown curly hair down over her shoulders. She held in one hand a comb and in the other, a roll of paper. But she did not whisper a word. A bit like our last white lady, this one was not too communicative. And the servant maid and her young man, who had just been boasting, shuddered in terror. 
and dared not move or utter a word. The lady walked round the apartment several times and then suddenly stood. So she was pacing and like that she froze to the spot and having opened the door through which she had entered without opening, beckoned the young man to follow her. So there's a lot going on here all of a sudden. They were joking about the ghost. The man was being all macho. I'm not scared of this old ghost until the ghost actually appeared. It walked through a closed door with a comb in one hand and a roll of paper in the other. And then, after walking around the room a few times with the young pair screaming in terror, she beckoned the young man to follow her back through the door, which she had now opened for him. Obviously, she didn't need it opened, but she opened it for him. And to quote, As he dared not disobey, he followed her upstairs into a dark back room, but which was now lighted up in some mysterious way. With her finger pointed out a particular corner under the low roof, at which place the young man, with his trembling hand, found some hard parcel carefully tied in an old woollen stocking. When he opened it, he found it full of money, and at the same moment, the white lady vanished and never disturbed the house again. So, there's a lot going on in that quote as well, but by following this white lady and uncovering this money, which was hidden in an old woolen stocking, he had seemingly helped her find peace. Now, what happened next, sadly, I don't know. Davis didn't record it. Maybe it's better that way. We can make up our own ending. Did the pair run away with the money, live happily ever after? Did they give it to the owners of the home? Maybe the white lady wanted this couple to have the money for some reason. I don't know. But what I do know is coming up next is our third and final creepy tale of ghosts and hidden treasure. And this one is called the Glenvriad Vaur Ghost. And this one also takes place in the north of Cardiganshire, or Ceredigion now, in a farmhouse in Aberystwyth. And while it is described as a respectable farmhouse at the time of writing, we are told that in former days it was a mention of some note. So, while it's respectable at the time of writing, it was once even more respectable, and that is when this ghost story became attached to it. And to quote, Once upon a time, there lived at this house an old gentleman whose two nieces on one occasion came to spend with him their Christmas holidays. One evening, the two young ladies who were sisters, and the housemaid sat down late playing cards. As they kept on playing till a very late hour, the fire was going out, and they began to feel cold. So, the maiden went out of the house for some 
firewood in order to warm themselves before retiring to bed. Now, this introduction all sounds like the set in for a classic ghost story so far. Three young girls up late playing cards after their bedtime and the fire starts to go out and one of them heads out into the darkness alone to get some more wood. What could possibly go wrong? Well, to return to the tale, for some reason or other, however, she was very long in returning with the wood to put on the fire. And when she did return, she fell on the floor in a swoon, and they were obliged to carry her to bed. Next morning, when they asked what had caused her to faint, she declined giving any reply. And even when her master, and, and things do things get a bit extreme here, but even when her master, gun in hand, threatened to take her life unless she confessed what had happened, she still persisted in keeping all of the mystery to herself. So it must have been one heck of a secret if somebody is pointing a gun at her and she still won't tell. But to go back to the tale, the fact of it was the girl kept company to one of the farm servants. So we're back to tales of Welsh servants sneaking out and doing a little bit of courting late at night. And this particular couple might even have been engaged at the time and either way, very soon afterwards, they were married. And they took a very large farm for themselves, a farm which is well known or was well known in the early 1900s in North Cardiganshire. Now, all of their acquaintances were very greatly surprised about this, we are told. They were asking, how could a poor servant man and servant woman afford to begin farming on such a large scale when it was known that they had but very little money to start such an undertaking? Well, the general opinion was that a spirit had revealed themselves to that servant woman and also the location of hidden treasure on that Christmas time night that she fainted. And while their newfound wealth might or might not have been paranormal in nature, they certainly had a lot of money and a very large farm as a result soon after that night. And so ends our trilogy of tales of spirits and their hidden treasure, and so ends another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button, and if you really enjoyed it and you'd like to show your support, then you can now buy me a coffee via the website, and I do love coffee, or you could leave a nice review or give it a quick thumbs up or five stars or whatever the option is on whatever platform you are consuming this podcast on. If you'd like more Ghosts and Folklore, 
You can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram. And if you do, be sure to say hello. It's always lovely when people say hello. And as well as the podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects, including Ghosts of Wales, accounts from the Victorian archives, and the most recent one, Paranormal Wales. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, no star. No star.